0: Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares.
1: You want to talk about what Christmas is all about? It's about, right, his proven divinity. It's about the claim that that little baby in a manger was God incarnate. And then it's about a ministry that followed, including the culmination, the cherry on top of the whole Sunday is this, the resurrection of Christ from the dead, something that cannot be done by yourself.
0: When angels appeared outside of Bethlehem, they made a bold announcement. The Savior was born. But those shepherds who eagerly rushed to see baby Jesus could not possibly conceive of the awesome reality of Christ's life and ministry. Today, Pastor Mike Fabares presents evidence from the life of Jesus confirmed by the Holy Spirit that proves that the baby in the manger was the divine Son of God. I'm your host, Dave Drury. And now here's Pastor Mike with part two of The Mega Christmas Message.
1: I want you to have a a mega understanding of the mega message of what Christmas is all about. Mega Christmas message. It's not my message, it's the message of Christmas and we wanna talk about it from this particular text. First Timothy 316, what's the first word in that verse? Mega, that's the Greek word, mega. Great, great indeed is the mystery of, and then here's this word, Godliness. Godliness, this word sometimes is translated, particularly in extra-biblical literature, as religion. Religion just simply means that we are bound, we're binding ourselves to this, this doctrine, to this information. Like Paul said to the Romans, like this this form of teaching to which we are committed. Right? As Paul said to Timothy in terms of this trust that's been deposited, you hang on to it, don't lose it. Nothing wrong with the concept of religion. We're hanging on to these truths. The church is the pillar and foundation, the buttress of the truth. And then we, as Christians, for us holding on to that, man, it's just it's such a deep thing. Great is the mystery of our religion, of the thing we have bound ourselves to, of the truth that we're proclaiming. Then, look what comes next, six very short statements. And all these verbs carefully correspond in the syntax of this, of this passage. It clearly is a very unique set of short and pithy statements about our Christianity. What's the first statement he uses here? He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. The point is, it's stuck in here as a summary of kind of the depth, the mega nature of of Christianity, which all starts with something, the reason I'm preaching it at Christmas, is with the uh, with the fact that the one that it's all about was manifested in the flesh, that he was brought into this world. The understanding of the infinite God beyond time and space, a transcendent God who was and is and is to come, the almighty God, the God of hosts, the God who's in charge of all things, right? And he now is born in Bethlehem as a baby, he was put inside the body of a girl from Nazareth. And, and, and God takes on humanity, takes on flesh. That, that is a mind-boggling thing. And if you think about it, that is the first thing Christmas is all about, and we ought to start to really articulate that and clearly understand that and be willing to speak about the depth, the mega message of that simple truth. So let's put it that way. Number one, if you're taking notes, we need to be clear. Christmas is about the incarnate God, the incarnate God. I mean, that's, just, that's, that's it's incomprehensible to think that God, the infinite God, now is, is, is contained in a, in a body. And I just want us to give some thought when you say to someone, hey, Christmas is about the incarnate God. You just need to pause on that. Because most people don't believe it. I mean, they really don't believe it. Most religions don't believe it. And I'm saying, well, there's our problem. When you deny that he has come in the flesh, as First John says, you've just departed from, from anything that, that has any salvific power in your life. Christianity is affirming and has been for 2,000 years since the birth of Christ that God put on flesh, the incarnation of deity. And we need to stop at that and just let our minds grind on that a bit and go, wow, that's crazy. That is, it's deep. The mystery of godliness, of our religion is deep. And it starts with that. Well, I knew that. Okay, next. Vindicated by the Spirit. Spirit. Vindicated by the Spirit. Vindication is I'm, I, I'm right and you thought I wasn't right and now I stand vindicated and I am right. And Jesus' claim of divinity was vindicated by the Spirit. Vindicated by the Spirit. Okay, how did that happen? Go with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Take a look at this text. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, speaks of the promise of what God said he would do, 2 Samuel chapter 7, regarding David, this great king, this eternal Messiah, this one who was going to have all power and all authority and the kingdom would be subject to him, right? That's the promise of, of David or Jesse. That's Jesse is David's dad. It says here, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Next line. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Verse two, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So the third person of the Godhead is somehow going to take the anointed Messiah and he's going to rest upon him, which by the way, it's not hard for us to envision this because you have envisioned it every time we read the Gospels. When Jesus, in his first act of his public ministry, he goes out to the Jordan River where John the Baptist is preaching and calling people to repent. He gets in line and he gets baptized. And when he gets baptized, what happens? Think about it. What happens, Right? Hear the voice. Everybody hears a voice. Like, who, 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 what is that? This is my son, right? My beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What, what? Yeah. And then what happens? God does a miracle. It's the beginning of Christ's miracles, at least in the sense that this is happening to him. He's going to perform one in Cana, but it is baptism. Here comes this, this image of, a, of, of, of something that is, is depicting in people's minds the spirit and it settles on him like a dove landing on a branch. And here comes the spirit of God resting on the sun. And the spirit of God right, is going to now start to work through him. And that's the interesting thing about the, the kenosis of Christ, the humility of Christ, laying aside his independent divine exercise of his divine attributes, his prerogatives as, as the second person of the Godhead. As the spirit comes on him, he now leans and, 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 and relies on the spirit of God to now prove his position, right? The works of the spirit are, are active in him. And like what? Well, the next line, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Do you think that was clear upon him? How about as a 12 year old when he's sitting in the temple and his parents can't find him and he's there interacting with the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and all the Levites are gathered around, the priests are leaning over, and what's this kid talking about? Yes, the Spirit of God is now, through the ministry of Christ, vindicating his claim and the claim of everyone around him, including those angels that came and declared that he was, right, the fulfillment of God's promises. And here it is, vindication. Wow, who, who can do that? Where did that spirit come from? The spirit of counsel, right, that's his teaching. He goes and he speaks things that are, that are, that are wise, right, wisdom, understanding, and, and, and counsel, and look at this, and might. There's the, it's such a tiny little word in the English, and might. The spirit and might. Do you know that in Jesus' ministry, as he credits and depends on the third person of the Godhead to carry out the vindication of his second person of the Godhead status, right? the might and power, the dunamos, they call it in, in, in the Greek New Testament, is an evidence that he is who he says he is, and it's done through miraculous signs and wonders. Right? He does things like paraplegics. Right, they, 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 they skip home. Blind men, never seen, they can see. Dead man, decaying in a grave. Lazarus, come forth. He's demonstrating power that human beings don't have because he's not a human being. But the Spirit of God is authenticating that. First with a miraculous sign that the Spirit descended upon him and then all these things culminating in the most dramatic of all. The thing that has been the point of investigation that has converted many intelligent people throughout church history. And that is what Romans chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. And the point is, and just let me just read this text for you. Here is the ultimate vindication of the son. Concerning his son descended from David according to the flesh, right? Of course he he was that. But he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, the holy God by his resurrection from the dead. If nothing else, what we see is the Spirit of God saying to the world, this is no normal human being. You want to talk about what Christmas is all about? Number two, be clear. It's about his proven divinity. It's about the claim that that little baby in a manger was God incarnate. And then it's about a ministry that followed, including the culmination, the cherry on top of the whole Sunday is this, the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Something that cannot be done by yourself. It is not a human act. This is a supernatural act. The transcendent God is proving through the works of the Spirit that his claim is vindicated. He is vindicated by means of the, of the Spirit. And that little other footnote on the word by, in, that's no big deal. I don't know why I even put it here because epsilon knew that little preposition in is always translated, can be translated in, with, or by, um, but it's about an instrumentality. How is he vindicated? The instrumentality of that vindication is the Spirit. The Spirit of God is doing miraculous works in Jesus Christ. The ultimate one is the resurrection of Christ from the dead. What did that do? It proved his divinity. And we sit here 2,000 years later celebrating his birth, not just because someone claimed he was a special kid, but because his life and ministry proved it and his resurrection put an exclamation point on it, and we're still worshiping a living Christ because of what took place 2,000 years ago. Number three, seen by angels. Seen by angels. What do you have on the top of your Christmas tree? You got a Christmas tree at home? You decorated, got lights on it? What do you have at the top? Star maybe? Some of you have that cute little angel at the top of your tree. Why do you have an angel at the top of your Christmas tree? Some of you that do, you have it. You would say, I guess if you thought about it, well, because Luke chapter two says the angels came down from heaven at the birth of Christ and uh, they gazed at the baby Jesus. Is that what it says? No, it was... Asked in a sarcastic tone, so that you would say, "No, it's not why. No, it's not why." Did the angels come down to look at Christ? No. Angels came down to do some angeling. What is angeling? Well, what does the word angel mean? Angel means messenger, right? An angelos is a messenger, and they are in the presence of God. Sometimes in Scripture, very rarely, coming down to bring a message to people. And who did they bring the message to? In Luke chapter two, shepherds. What do they say? Well, born to you this day in the city of David, right? Fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Is Christ the Lord, right? Did they peek over their shoulder? Well, okay, sure, but whatever, because they're not, they're not human beings. Here's the thing about the angels. I'm just setting you up for, for an interpretation of this text for so think it's the right one. What, do, do they have any problem perceiving the second person of the Godhead? They've been perceiving him since they were created, Depending on the access and the rank that they have, of course they have. Of course they know the second person of the Godhead. They know all three persons of the Trinity. Of course they do. Do they see them? Well, they don't see them because you can't see them before the incarnation. You couldn't see the second person. You can't see any of the members of the Trinity before the incarnation. And all you can see after the incarnation is the second person of God. You cannot see. No man has seen or can see. That's what the Bible says about God. And you're thinking about angels. They don't have eyes. They don't have ears. They don't have uh, nerves or skin cells. Well, they appear and they said things and they have to move the air to get the, the, the shepherds to hear words. Well, of course, I agree. That's the point. The point of miracles happening in an angelic situation is the miracle of them manifesting themselves so that they can bring a message to people. Whether it's Zechariah, who's in the in the temple and learns about the birth of John the Baptist, or whether it's the shepherds in the field in Luke 2 learning about the birth of Christ and that this kid is no normal child. This is this is the Messiah, Christ the Lord. That is their job. They don't have eyes, they don't see things, not the way you see them, they perceive things, they're spirit beings, they're software. Right? Are, they, are, are they limited, are they finite, yes. Are they created, yes. Temporal, yes. But it doesn't mean that they have eyes and they need lights on so they can see things. They don't, they don't perceive that way. Angelic beings don't work that way. They only work that way when they have to interact with people in biblical history. And that's it. As far as seeing the incarnate, no, no. Okay, I've confused you there on that. Go to the fourth one. What's the next one? He's gotta be proclaimed, right, among the nations. Right? He's proclaimed among the nations. What was the, what was the second one? A proven divinity, what's the first one? God becomes a man. God becomes a man. He proves his divinity by the instrumentality of the Spirit. And the fourth one, he's going to be proclaimed among the nations. Who is going to proclaim him among the nations? Not the angels. The angels, the heavenly beings that live in a software domain, right? They're not physical. We're the physical ones, right? We're supposed to take our software contained and enmeshed in our hardware and go out and talk to people about the gospel. We are the messengers of the message. Well, that word, is it ever used that way? Of course it's used that way. Let me give you an example. Luke chapter 9, verse 52. Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and he sent his messengers ahead of him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans, and they made preparations for him. So Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem. He's coming down from Galilee, and he sends messengers. Who are his disciples? He sends disciples to the villages, and they bring a message saying, the Christ is coming, and he's passing through, and he's going to stay here tonight. The messengers. Guess what the word is? Angelos. Messengers. They're bringing a message that Christ dispatched them to give. If this message is going to be proclaimed among the nations, what I need are messengers who know what they're talking about. And here's the emphasis throughout the New Testament when it comes to that first generation of people who are going to encode this in black and white propositional sentences in the Bible. What is important to them is that you know that we have seen it. As a matter of fact, look at this passage with me, please. First John, First John chapter 1. Verse 1. Let's look at this passage. First John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning. John, same author of John 1 1, but now we're talking about the beginning of what? Right? Which we have heard. Right? We sat there and listened to Christ preach. We're talking about the beginning of his ministry, which we have seen with our eyes. We watched him, which we've looked upon and we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. What word? The word that became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw it. We heard it. We touched him. Verse 2, the life that was made manifest. There's the picture. We see God now in human form. He's been made manifest. We see it, and we have seen it. Verse 2, and testify to it. Oh, guess what? They're messengers of it. They're testifying to it. They're speaking about it. And proclaim to you, that's the same word we're going to see in the fourth line, proclaiming to you eternal life which was with the Father, and here it is again, was made manifest to us. We saw it. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. So we're going to give you a message. You didn't see it, but you need to know that we saw it. We were part of it. We heard it, we saw it, we touched it. And we are relaying this to you as reliable witnesses, as eyewitnesses of what we've seen. So that you can have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship was with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. We want you to be Christians. But here's the thing. You're going to have to rely on the message that we're giving to you. But we've seen it. How important was that in the New Testament? I don't know. When Judas goes out and flames out and hangs himself, the betrayer, they in, in, in Acts chapter one, they sit around. So we've got to replace him. What was the criteria for replacing the apostle? They said, we've got to have someone who was with us from the beginning, who's seen it all, who's heard it all, and has been testified and hears, who has heard and seen and touched the resurrected Christ. I need someone who said, we need eyewitnesses. And they're gonna go all out in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth with this message, but they have to be reliable witnesses. One more passage, 2 Peter chapter one. Turn there with me, 2 Peter chapter one. Look at verse 16, 2 Peter 1, 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths. Now this is Peter writing. Think about Peter. When we made known to you the power and coming, the manifestation, right? The incarnation of our Lord Jesus, the son of David, the Christ. But we were, underline it, eyewitnesses of his majesty. For, verse 17, when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice of That was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Well, we ourselves heard the very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. We not only saw it at the baptism, we saw it at the Mount of Transfiguration. We were there, we heard it, we saw it, we were eyewitnesses to it. Verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. We are testifying to you that we saw the fulfillment of the prophecies. And every person in the 21st century, if you're a follower of Christ, we are relying on the eyewitnesses, the messengers, the angelos, who were eyewitnesses to the reality of Christ. What he did, the vindication by the Spirit, they saw his miracles, and his resurrection, the ultimate vindication of his life by the Spirit, raised right with power by the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. We are saying, we know that these guys saw it. This isn't a back room, pinky swear. You know, you and I, let's just think about what we... No, this is a massive amount of people. For 40 days post-resurrection, Jesus was out there. He was preaching. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that sometimes there were more than 500 people present at one time. You can go find them. You can go talk to them. Why was it important in 1 Corinthians 15 that Paul say that? Because he wants them to know this is based on eyewitness testimonies. We saw it. And did they fold when the pressure got ramped up? Of course not. The whole point was they went to their deaths saying we saw this, we were part of it, we touched it, we we heard it, we were there, we were eyewitnesses to it. And we know that the scripture of the Old Testament being fulfilled in our day, we know that. And we recognize that you ought to, as he goes on to say here, the prophetic word is more fully confirmed, to which you would do well to pay attention. Why? Because it's true. Those prophets have spoken the truth. It's like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, and all of the promises are going to be fulfilled. So they're writing about that, that there is a coming kingdom, that Christ is going to return, and the morning star rises in your heart, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, either Old Testament or New Testament, and Peter's going to say that in this book. He knows Paul is writing New Testament Scripture. He says the writings of Paul are like the other Scriptures, these scriptures, they're not done by people sitting around stroking their beards thinking about you know, ethics or ideals or, or, or philosophies. No, they're not a matter of one's own interpretation of reality, right? No, no prophecy was ever produced, verse 21, by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they were testifying to the things that they saw that vindicated the claims of an incarnate God. Number three, you gotta be clear, Christmas is about reliable testimony. Why are we still celebrating this? Because under scrutiny and research, we found the truth of Christianity to be true. Objective truth, third person propositional truth. Not my truth, not your truth, right? Not your story, not my story. Objective truth. We were eyewitnesses to this. And that's what the Bible says that started this New Testament era with eyewitnesses saying, we confirm the truth of what Jesus claimed as the Spirit authenticated it. Which, by the way, if you denied that when you saw it, Jesus, you cannot be forgiven. I mean, the reality is, that, you know, he says, you can say a lot of things about me, but if you're saying the testimony of the Spirit bearing witness to who I am, if you're saying that's from Satan, which that's what they—that's all they were left to say, well, it's clearly a miracle, but whatever magic you're doing, Jesus, it must be by demons, by Beelzebub. And Jesus says, well, then, that will never be forgiven. I mean, that's how important the vindication of the Spirit was.
0: You're listening to Focal Point and part two of the mega Christmas message from Pastor Mike Fabares. He'll be back with a special announcement in just a moment. But in the meantime, remember, you can listen to this message or any of our previous messages online at focalpointradio.org. As this tumultuous year comes to a close, we're asking you, our faithful listeners, to help Pastor Mike share the unfiltered Word of God on the radio and online by giving generously this December. As you can imagine, ministry costs, like everything else, continually rise. We need your support now more than ever. So please make your end-of-the-year donation today at focalpointradio.org or by calling 888 That's 888-320-5885. And when you give, we'll send you the ultimate infographic guide to the Bible. Get historical and contextual insights to help you better understand Scripture. You'll have access to charts, graphics, and timelines to enrich your Bible study experience. So request The Ultimate Infographic Guide to the Bible when you get in touch at focalpointradio.org or when you call us at triple eight three two zero five eight eight five. Again, that's 888-320-5885. Or if you prefer, send your donation by mail and let us know that you want to become a monthly Focal Point partner. Our address is Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And now here's Pastor Mike with an announcement before we wrap up the program today.
1: Pastor Mike Fabar is here. You know, God created the world for his children to enjoy and to help you worship him in his creation. I'm going to invite you to join me for a seven-day Alaskan cruise coming up in the summer of 2024. We're going to study the Bible together and we're going to worship with a Grammy Award winner named Keith Hancock. We're going to visit the beautiful, majestic scenery of God and his creation, so don't wait to book your spot. Visit focalpointministries.org Alaska. Thanks, Pastor Mike. To get more
0: information, go to focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. Well, I'm your host, Dave Druey, inviting you to join us for the conclusion of Pastor Mike's mega Christmas message coming up Thursday on Focal Point.
1: Pastor Mike here. Ever wish you could corner your pastor and challenge him with your toughest questions about the Bible, about faith? Well, now you can. Send me your questions. Head on over to focalpointradio.org and click on Ask Pastor Mike or send me a note on facebook.com slash or twitter.com slash Pastor Mike. I can't wait to hear from you.
0: Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.